Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited to tell you about this podcast. It's called The DK Project, but it's really The Darren Show. The DK Project is a radio show, but without the radio. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the ride. Let's go! Welcome back to The DK Project. Hey, everybody. Brand new podcast for you. We sat down with Mr. Jack O'Halloran, legendary uh, movie actor, professional boxer, family ties to the mob with uh, his dad, Albert Anastasia. Uh, he also talks a little bit about a project he's working on out in Las Vegas for the world's biggest studio to make movies and whatnot. So that was totally interesting. But uh, we caught him out. Uh, he sounds like he was on his rocking chair just enjoying the day. And uh, it was a great little conversation. This guy has a resume that doesn't stop. I mean, if I told you in one podcast I could cover the mob, uh, professional boxing with Ali and George Foreman, screen actor, uh, like um, big time movies such as Farewell, My Lovely, King Kong. Oh, yeah, Superman. And then he gets into his book, which... He was at the Kennedy assassination. He knows what happened. So you guys do not want to miss this. You're going to want to go all the way through. The audio is a little rough because, like I said, he's uh, sounds like he's maybe uh, just uh, chilling in the rocking chair and enjoying the day. So by all means, everybody, check this one out. This is a great show, and uh, we'll have more coming for you. Uh, rapid fire here. Got guests lined up. So enjoy the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jack O'Halloran. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the DK Project. Special guest on the line today. We got Jack O'Halloran. How you doing, sir? Doing the best I can, whatever I'll let me get away with. Hey, now. I like that. What Just before we got on the air here, we were talking. You're in Redondo Beach. How about living the dream, man? It doesn't uh, get any better nice than that. Pretty are you, are, nice day out here. Are you on the water? About a block away. Oh man, that is the ticket. I uh, I like it. I you know I had you uh, set up for about a week ago, and I had to reschedule. So I've I've just been excited to get in, uh, get you in, get you on the show. There's so much to talk about, man. Uh, uh, where do you like to start? I mean, the movies, the boxing, the the mob. You've got everything. You got the full <laughs> package. I love it. Well, and you, you got a book too, right? Me. Well, yeah, very, very well-written book called Family Legacy. Family Legacy. When did that come out? About nine, ten years ago. We're just getting ready to republish a book in about 60 days. Oh, nice. Another book. Well, we will uh, we will get that uh, pumped up. Are you? Uh, is that an Amazon thing, or what, what are we talking there? It'll be on Amazon, yeah. Did you do an audio version? We know that's what we're going to do this time. We didn't do it before, but we're going to do it now. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a whole other audience for you right there. So so now Family yeah. Legacy, is this talking about your – now your dad was affiliated with uh, with the uh, with the uh, big boys, right? I don't even know how you want yes. to say that properly. Give us the story. Your dad, uh, Give me your dad's name again. Albert Anastasia. Albert Anastasia, and and what was what? Give me the background. What's so he he's uh, a first. Albert was, Albert was partners with Frank Costello and Charles Luciano, Lucky Luciano, and uh, Meyer Lansky, and he ran a company called Murder Incorporated. Your dad did. That. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so what? Growing up, what did you know? What 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 was your you know what was your uh, what was your take on the whole thing? How come you're not uh, invested well, in was, the family? I was kept away from it for until I was around fourteen, but I knew I was being schooled by somebody pretty much all my life, and not knowing exactly what for, but you know, paying very much attention to what I was doing and. The, they assassinated my father in 1957. The the family it was did? One of the most, yeah, it was one of the most famous assassinations. With the, He was the man they, they killed in the barber chair at the oh, Sheridan Hotel. Really? And they did it because uh, Albert wouldn't play in the drug business. And he controlled the docks of the country. And he just, uh, when you see the Godfather and they went to Brando, and Brando was approached and he said, if we do it, 
it'll be the downfall of the families. And uh, if I touch it, my children will touch it. And my father said that. Really? So they, then they came back and said it was the worst mistake they ever made because Albert was the glue that held them all together. Interesting. How old were you when all this happened? 14. Oh, so you knew what was going on. Were you ever, were you ever afraid for your life? No, no, no. You, uh, you, but, you, but so you've you've got a uh, boxing history. So you were you always uh, able to take care of yourself? Yeah, I was taught at a very young age how to take care of myself, and uh, I uh, followed a lot of family traditions. And when I was nineteen, I was what they call a made individual. So I've lived under the code of Amerto all my life. Really. What, uh, what, yeah. what, how, how does that go about being a, being a youngster and getting made? How does that, is that just because of your dad? Well, my dad and some things that I did and, uh, and I spent some time in Sicily and when I was down there, I was, uh, went through a, a particular ceremony and, um, Yeah. So now, so now what? Now that just goes away? I mean, that doesn't go away, does it? Once you're in, you're in. No. Correct. So do you have any involvement with it now? Do you still see any of those guys? Well, I have a lot of associates. I have a lot of friends and a lot of associates. And uh, it's uh, you know, something that, to me, is very beneficial. Really? Um, That's awesome. So, so uh, once you were made, then did you do anything with the with the with that world, uh, the crime family, or anything like that? Well, we we did a lot. Was involved in a lot of things with unions and gambling in Europe and stuff like that. Yeah, any uh, things, making sure things worked. And- really? So then, so then you segue into boxing. How how does that come about? Like you were, you were a big time boxer. You had a shot at, well, you were just about to have a shot at the title is what I'm finding out. What, uh, you got a well, lot of fights, man. Four, I signed four times with Ali and uh, almost fought Frazier once. And, um, but you never fought Ali, right? No, we were signed. We had agreements and everything, contracts. And, uh, he, um, he and I were very good friends and, you know, he kept every time we, we came to a point of doing it, something would happen and, you know, just, uh, just, the, just the world of boxing, you know, just the way, the way it un- unfolded. Yeah. Is it, is it, well, you had, you fought Foreman and, and, uh, you know, I'm George not a, and I fought, George and I fought, you know, I, I had, I had beaten a couple world ranked fighters and no one would fight me. And then they, called me up one day and said, would you like to fight George Foreman? So I only trained about a week and a half for the fight. And really? We fought in the garden. And I, the first couple of rounds of the fight, I was winning very easily. And, and it just, uh, I walked into a punch in the fifth round. It was my own fault. But I got up, but they stopped it very quickly. Really? So and George, George would never fight me. God, George is a good friend. I like George a lot. A lot of respect for him. Yeah. Do you still talk to him uh, now? Like, uh, I haven't seen him for a while, but, you know, if we ever bump into each other, it would be like yesterday. Nice. And you and you knew Ali outside of uh, boxing? Like uh, Buddy Buddy? Ali and I were very good. Yeah, we were, he, um, when I was California heavyweight champion, he called me on the phone one day and he said, you got to do me a favor. And I said, yeah, I'll do you a favor. Sign a contract to fight me. <laughs> he said, oh, I will. You're fighting my brother, Rockman next week and uh, you got to do me a favor and get him out of boxing because it's an embarrassment and oh. so I said Ali's your brother he said yeah I said well I better go in the gym a couple of days and and I um, and I knocked him out in the ninth round in, in San Diego and he never fought again really so so what was that like I getting ready it. for a fight I mean obviously that one you sound like uh, maybe you put a little extra time in but you know, you've got a, a whole list of uh, people that you fought. You won, set, you know, a majority, and you lost a few. But, but, like, what is a process of getting ready for a fight? That's so beyond my, like, I, I have no idea how that works. But you, uh, 
if I had I ever trained like Ali and went away to camp and done all that stuff, I don't think I'd ever lost a fight. I had a lot of ability, and I used to take fights on a week's notice and stuff. Really? Because it was a day job. And being involved in my father's business, you had to have a day job. Uh... Or certain people who would have been alive or out on the street, I probably no doubt would have been champion of the world. But, you know, it is, it is what it is, you know. And uh, uh, Ali and I were supposed to fight in San Diego, and Norton's people were very wealthy, and they went to Chicago with a bunch of money, and Norton got the Ali fight. He called me up, and he he, he, he couldn't apologize enough. He said, you know, I, I was just out of my hands, and we had signed contracts. Really? And we were supposed to fight once, and then I beat a guy, Alvin Blue Lewis, who was ranked number two in the world, and he had went 13 rounds with Ali in Ireland. Then he came home and he beat Ernie Terrell and another guy. And they were looking to get another title fight. And, and I ruined that because I beat him badly in Detroit. And, and I went to see him in his camp. And I said, you know, let's get it on, man. And he uh, and he was he looked at me and he said, if I really give you a shot at the, at the title, he said, will you really try and beat me? And I said, I'll tell you what, for the first time in my career, I'll go away to camp. <laughs> and I'll train the same as you do. And when you come in the ring, bring a gun with you because you're going to need it. Damn. And he, he said, two steaks, please. We were sitting having dinner. He was a good person. I I, I like Muhammad quite a bit. He was, he was a tremendous athlete. No matter what sport he would have went into, he'd have been great. Yeah. He's just, uh, you yeah. know, and he was a different person. When you talk to him one-on-one, -on -one, he was a, uh, he was very bright, very intelligent, and he could fight. He was a hell of a fighter. Yeah. Do you think he could have taken him? I think it would have been an interesting fight. Yeah. Wow, because you're a big guy. What are you, 6'5"? Six, 6'6", six, six, and I weighed about two. When I was really right, I weighed about 235, and, and I could move. I, I could move like Cali. I had a lot of hand speed and foot speed. So was there any money in boxing back then, or was it just kind of a no more of a? I mean, when I started boxing, we only got ten dollars a round. Ooh. when I first started, you know, so I, you had to love the sport. What? Oh man, I don't know. What's the? How do you love a sport like that? Just pounding on. Well, I guess if you're winning. Here, here's the question. I'm, uh, look, I'm looking over your list yeah, of fights. Fight. Oh, go ahead. I could fight. You know, some people can fight and some people can't. Yeah. I could take a fight on two days' notice and I'd go 10 rounds like I was standing on my head. So were you uh, always, you know? like, in you know, working out? Were you always training, like, like? Uh, I, I always ran. Yeah. I always ran. I didn't do the things. I, you know, when I, when I trained diligently, I beat people easily. You know, I, uh, I was, one time I, they called me up to fight a kid named uh, Terry Daniels in, in Houston, Texas. They were looking to make a Frazier fight. Mm -hmm. And he wanted a white guy to fight him. So Terry Daniels was ranked, I think, number six or five in the world. And if he got by me, it would have been a great fight for him to fight Joe Frazier in, in Houston, Texas. So I went down to Houston, and I remember Lou Vescuzzi, the, the promoter, he, and I got there, he said, my God, you're in great shape. And I, because I had been under like, I had to stay indoors for a while. We had some problems with the union indictments and things. So I trained, I was training very hard. Mm. And I went down and destroyed this kid in three rounds. <laughs> and I flew back with uh, Yank Durham. And he said to me, if you fight, if you beat one more good fighter, he said, you can have the Frazier fight in Houston. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll do you one better. You name the place, the fighter, and the time, send me a ticket. He said, you kidding me? I said, I'm telling you. You name the fighter, name the place, and just send me a ticket. So about a month later, I fought Cleveland Williams, who was a ranked fighter, uh -huh. in Houston, which is his hometown. And I beat him 10 out of 10. And Terry Daniels got the Frazier fight. And Cleveland fought George Savalo on the same card. And no one would fight me. <laughs> oh, you know, so, that was what in '71, '69. Man, so I'm I'm no '71. Yeah, 
That was in 71, you're right. Yeah, I'm looking at... Oh, 69, 1969, I beat a guy, Manuel Ramos, who was ranked two in the world. And they were looking to make a title fight with Ali. They, uh, I had fought, I had taken a fight in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Rich. Yeah. And down there, and I was there a month, so I was in pretty good shape. Whoa. I was off the street. And... I actually beat Richards, but they called it a draw because it was his hometown. So you know how bad I beat him if they called it a draw. <laughs> and I came home and seven days later. I was in L.A. fighting Manuel Ramos. Wow. And I knocked him out in the seventh round. And George Pernasas wasn't too happy about that. And then no one would fight me again So until the phrase, until the Foreman fight. Well, you even had a short turn on the Foreman fight. It was That was January of seventy. And you fought uh, yeah. Ramos in October of 69. That's not a lot of time. Well, uh, or is it? I don't I know. I used to fight once a month. Time. Uh, it just uh, depends. You know? Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. What about, what about my question is, is, is like Bobby Lee Hines, Woody, Woody Goss. Uh, and there was the Jimmy Somerville. Like these guys, they just keep coming back. Like, and, and quickly, like Bobby Lee Hines, you fought him in July of 67 and then August of 67. And and Woody was November and then March. Like, back to back. These guys want to get right back in the ring with you, huh? Yeah, well, it's the promoter. They just, you know, promoted fights. You, bought, you, you fought Bobby Lee Hines three times and beat him every time. He just keeps coming back. I don't get it. And, and quickly, fourth round, sixth round. That's impressive. Uh, for you, I don't know what the hell he was thinking. But then you fought Foreman five rounds. What happened there at the Garden? God, that's got to be monster. I don't fall. I walked into a punch. Yeah. And uh, and then they stopped the fight right away, which I was really angry about because I got up. And um, and then George would never fight me again. George, I, George knew, and I are pretty good friends. He knew what was up, huh? He uh, he knew yeah. he knew how that one would have ended. One time, George ranked all the the hardest hits that he has in the top ten hit guys that could hit the hardest. Yeah, I think I was number four. Really? Whew. Yeah. That's that's not bad because he's he's uh, he's fought some guys, but Raman Ali that was uh, uh, Muhammad Ali's brother, and uh, Rockman, yeah. Is that how it is? And uh, and then, but then they never let you get in the ring with Ali. That's crazy. Uh, and, and and well, that, like I said, we were signed. We were signed a few times, and you know, and uh, then I was supposed to fight Frazier, and that didn't happen. So it was, uh, you know, it's just the world of boxing. And you know, it was at a point where I really wasn't pushing. I had when I first started, I was like sixteen or seventeen to know, and. They just they discovered I had a disease called acromegaly, which is a tumor of the pituitary, and I wasn't supposed to be fighting at all. The doctors couldn't figure out how I even got up for a fight. They said, you know, there's no way you should be able to even get in that ring. Really? And of course, I I told them all the past. Yeah, look up the disease acromegaly. It's kind of a rare, rare disease, but it um, causes a lot of mental depression and stuff. And yeah, so anyway, I'm, I'm going to pretend just, that I can spell that. <laughs> just said the hell with it. And I just went on with what I was doing, and because uh, it was a great day job, and and I, there's like 20, 20 or twenty five. I had twenty or twenty five fights that aren't even on my record. Damn. I knocked out twenty two guys, and we were, we were doing smoker fights up in Maine. And every time I go see some fights, and they'd say, "Wow, you got your shoes and all." And we were sure to fight, and I said, "Yeah, but you can't." So I'd be boxing under other names. Oh wow, the good old days. So did you have like a like a manager? Like um, what's that guy's name that was with Tyson for so in long? In the beginning, I had a great management team. I had a great managing team in the beginning, and I and then when they found out about the acromeglia, they they told me I shouldn't box anymore, and I said, "The hell with that! I'm going to do it." And I was at a, you know because of who I was and where I came from. Uh, I didn't really answer to anybody, but maybe one or two people. Yeah. Acromegaly- acromegalia is a disorder that results from excess growth, to growth hormone. Yeah. After your growth like plates your closed. Body, your body pumps out. 
your body would pump out 10% growth hormone. Mine was pumping out 150. Oh. So it saps, it saps your strength. And, and I grew to the height that I am because of that. And my bone structure, my bone structure is probably 45 pounds heavier than it should be. The density wow. of my bones in my body. Well, it's got to help when you're boxing, so, right? Because you're uh, you're a little thicker, a little uh, stronger. <laughs> it says here that uh, enlarged hands and feet. Yeah. Jaw and nose. Wow, that's crazy. So do you think that gave you an advantage in the ring or a disadvantage? No, a disadvantage because it sapped your strength and made you very, was a mentally depressing deal. Oh. And they come big up to fight and you know i just said because i like fighting and i'm pretty good at it so and you retired in 74 with a record of 34 21 and 2 you just you just had yeah. enough or what or you finally uh decided to jump into your other business uh, your other they told me i had to stop i mean i uh, one of the last fights i had was a guy named larry middleton who was number two in the world and i i went to mass general because i was in california and they said Either you get this tumor taken care of or we're taking your license away. Ooh. So I arranged to go to the Mass General Hospital, Raymond Shelberg, and he was the pioneer in uh, what they call a psychotron proton machine. And he zapped out the tumor, but I went into the hospital, had it done, and I checked myself out and drove down to Maryland and fought a 10-round fight oh. with a ranked fighter. Man. I trained just hard and I still had the scabs on my head. They had me bolted to a machine. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. I, you well, know, that's I, what they told me. I, I could have died then. I'm just, uh, I'm just fascinated by the fact that they, that what is even possible once they figure this out, that, 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 you know, that you could still get in the ring. <laughs> it's such a dangerous sport to begin with. Well, what do you, you know, what do you think of the new stuff? What do you think of this I, mixed martial arts stuff? Sorry, I said. What do you, what do you think of this new stuff? The mixed martial arts stuff in the in the cage and the, you know, I think it's a child's game. It's bullshit. Yeah, it, I don't think much of it. Yeah, I, I I don't like to see it. I I don't like anything about it, especially like the women. I just think it's real. I don't know. It's a whole nother level. But uh, boxing's kind of taking a never, step back. Watch. I never watch it, so I, you know. I, yeah, it's a it's a different just, uh, different sport at that point. So now now that you've decided you're going to be done with boxing, you're moving into Halle Weird. How does first of all how does how does somebody growing up in Iowa? Hollywood had chased me from the time 1966 when I was boxing up in Boston. Steve McQueen did a movie called The Thomas Crown Affair. Sure. And. And I looked after him when he came to Boston. We looked after him to make sure he was okay. He and I became good friends. And he come down on the set. He said, I'll put you in the movie. And you got to come to Hollywood, man. We'll have a ball and blah, blah, blah. And I just said, I uh, don't think so. Ooh. Then I, 1969, when I knocked out Ramos, some friends of mine from the East Coast thought I should get off the streets altogether. And they put together a deal with Fox. I was going to do the great white hope with James Earl Jones. Oh, and they brought me out to sign the contracts. And I said, I just knocked out the number two heavyweight in the world. And I, I'm looking to fight Ali and you want me to go away for six months. And I went back and forth with the producer. And he said, I, I thought the deal was all done. You were just supposed to come and sign a contract. And I, um, and I turned him down. Oh, wow. and James Earl Jones couldn't, that so and Steve McQueen called me on the phone. He said, Are you crazy or what? <laughs> so, hey, you know, in 74, I just went after the acromiglia operation. I uh, just said, I think it's time to retire. And they came to me to do Farewell, My Lovely with Robert Mitchum. And I did a screen test, and Robert Mitchum said, It's either him or I don't do the movie. So uh, I blame it all on Robert Mitchum. Wow. Those are those are big uh, big names you're throwing around there. How exciting! So were you with Steve McQueen? Were you like uh, maybe maybe the uh, the tough guy uh, in the group, like the entourage, and then you kind of uh, wanted a part for you or what? 
Well, yeah. How does that just happen? I I made sure that he was well taken care of when he came to Boston because of who I was. I had a few friends of mine that we looked after him to make sure he didn't have any problems or anything. Sure. Wow. Came good. So how was that? How was that first? Steve was a great guy. I like Steve quite a bit. In fact, he did a picture. He did a picture called Towering Inferno. Oh, yeah. And his name was Captain O'Connor. And he called me on the phone. He said, how do you like your name up on the screen? <laughs> how cool is that? I, uh, <laughs> that's funny. What do you, oh, I was just going to look. What, what year did he die? It's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, Steve died, Steve died about 10 years ago. Oh, no, he died in 1980. Whew. Yeah, I guess, yeah, that's about right. Time, you lose track of time. Time flies when you're having fun, man. Hey, so uh, so first of all, what's the first first time you're on set for for uh, Farewell, My Lovely? Uh, and and what what do you how how do you go from the ring to now? I got to act. I do some some voiceover stuff and, and and that kind of thing. But to to those are you couldn't be farther apart from from worlds of boxing to uh, <laughs> to acting. How did how did it go? Yeah, I, I had a great mentor, Robert Mitchum, and I he um, he explained a lot of things to me, and um, and I just had a very natural talent for it, and the timing from sports was very helpful. Yeah, know? and um, I just you know it, the movie business is a funny business. Either you have it or you don't. Yeah, either the camera likes you or it doesn't, and. And I had a great presence, you know, on the screen. So and you played all what, the things that Moose I Moose Malloy. <laughs> Moose Malloy, yeah. <laughs> what is it like when you watch that show now? Like when you watch that movie? Have you ever seen it? It's a great movie. No, I haven't. I haven't. I uh, no, you gotta. I gotta check it out. It's a great huh? film. I'm gonna put yeah, it on the list. Yeah, it's a really good film. Is it a Netflix thing? You'll enjoy it. I think he can, yeah. That's crazy. I and so so then what is it? What is a a a, a friend of Steve McQueen uh, walking onto the set? What can, is that? Real money? I mean, from the from the ten dollars per round boxing money, you're moving into acting now. That's bringing down the big box, well, right? It's a lot different, yeah. That's that's uh, that's pretty cool. So I, I did farewell, and then I did King Kong. We worked a little, we worked about nine months on King Kong, and then I did a picture called March or Die. We worked about several months on that, and I went from March or Die to Superman. Yeah, and that was the that's like uh, that was the big point, right? Is a, a Superman. I I liked every picture I ever did, but Superman was a great film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's like, classic. Iconic. You know, you became you came what you call in Hollywood a star. Mm-hmm. You know, because you're an iconic actor. Yeah. Wow. That's that. Yeah. So then, so then, now you've made it. Are you in Hollywood? Did you move out to Hollywood, or or were you still in Boston? No, I was in. Uh, I lived in Hollywood, and then I moved to Europe. Um, I lived in Hollywood, and I lived in San Diego for a while, and so I was in California. Though. Very cool. So so now you've got a whole list of movies you've done here. Which which was your favorite to do? Which which was the most fun? You you were uh, uh, the Yeti Farewell. in Flintstones. Farewell, my lovely was, was I enjoyed it a lot. And like I said, I enjoyed every film I did, or I wouldn't have done them. And you know, I, Superman was a great film to do. Great talented people. Yeah, how was Christopher was Reeves to work with? Chris was a good kid. You know, it was his first big movie. Yeah. But you had Marlon Brando, Margot Kidder, Terrence, Terrence Stamp is a brilliant actor, English actor. Yeah, and, there was you a know, pile of them in there. There was a lot of great people on that film. And yeah. same as when I, you know, King Kong was a great cast with Jeffrey Bridges and Charlie Gruden and, you know, just good people. You know, Jessica Lange's first picture. And, you know, then I did... Uh, even Farewell, My Love, he was Robert and Charlotte Rampling, Harry Dean Stanton, you know, John Ireland. It's a great cast. How know, was uh, Anthony Zerby? How was uh, Mr. Bridges to work with? 
Jeff was a super guy. Good, <laughs> good, good dude. Good, good, good person. Very good actor. Good guy. Yeah. Have you done anything with him recently? No. No. The only thing I did was King Kong. Yeah. Yeah. Very then cool. I did a picture called with Omar Sharif and Jimmy Coburn. What was it? And I, Omar called the Baltimore Bullet. Oh, sure. Yeah. In 1980, Baltimore Bullet. The picture with Chuck Chuck Norris called Hero in the Terror. How was he? Chuck was a good kid. Good yeah. guy. <laughs> is he as awesome as everybody thinks he is? <laughs> yeah. Chuck's a good fellow. That's. Uh, it's, I mean, uh, I was very lucky in my career. You know, I did a lot of Gene Hackman and I did two pictures together. He was um, he was on March or Die, then we did Superman. March or Die, we had Gene Hackman, Catherine Deneuve, Max von Sydow. It was an incredible cast. Man, that, yeah, so so uh, you were you were uh, quite the thing in the eighties, and well, you've done a little bit of, uh, every ten years. You've got a pile. So what what have you been doing lately? What's Dragon Troll Chronicles? We have, uh, well, I did favors for people. They're like the small movies, but we're getting ready to make a, a miniseries with, with Family Legacy. Okay. And then it's going to turn into a series. And I've got a picture called Ballad of a Simple Man that I'm going to do in Ireland that I wrote about Ooh. 40 years ago. Getting around to doing it. It's a great <laughs> old classic. It was done in the 30s uh, called The Informer with Victor McLaughlin and John Ford won four Oscars, so we did another adaption of the book, and and I've been up to bat to do it like four or five times. I just didn't like the mixture, so I kept putting it on the shelf, and I think we finally are going to get ready to do that before I kick out. Wow. And major studio in Nevada. I say that again in Nevada. We're building a we're building the biggest studio in the history of the industry. In Nevada. Oh, really? For for major motion yeah. pictures? Yeah, yeah. We're building a four million square foot studio. Whoa. What's that going to be called? We'll be up for grabs for name value between, you know, Netflix, Google, all those people. So wow. right now it's just out of media group. So it's, but it will be uh, what? when we do the naming rights. What brought that on? Like, how, how did you get into that? Something that should, well, we've been trying to put a studio together for the last 10, 12 years. And we almost did it in Long Beach back in 208. And then the world fell apart yeah. financially. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, we, yeah, I know, especially with this crazy time, man, you got to uh, grab onto those when you can because the COVID yeah, deal makes everything you, challenging. You got to be kidding me. Trying to get it, try and get it. You know, I'm doing it like an outpatient. I ripped some ligaments in my hand. Yeah. And they're fixing it on the 9th of June. But you got to go through r unbelievable tests and all this stuff before you even go to an outpatient thing. I said, wow, man, this is. Oh, for the virus? Like Gestapo. Huh? Oh, they're testing you for the virus? Well, they test you for that. And then once they test, like, they'll test me four days before the operation. And when they test me, then I have to stay totally quarantined from everybody until I get operated on. Oh, man. It's, it, it, yeah, it's, 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 it's a different time. Have you been, have you, I, I guess I didn't even ask. I get so sick of talking about the, the quarantine. Have you been hunkered down? Are you, uh, uh, well, you know, you can't go anywhere. There's nowhere to go. But it's, yeah. it's, it bothers me because we were in the middle of, of putting the studio together and everything's on hold because everybody's frightened to do this or that. So you have to wait. Like Las Vegas is totally locked down. Have you been there since and it locked down? No, you can't. Or you can't you even go. They only, opened up, they, they, they only opened it up a couple of weeks ago to even fly over there. Wow. I, I think it would be it's, fun uh, to see just a ghost town, you know, that, and man, I had a guy on, uh, the other day from Manhattan and he, uh, he's like, there's tumbleweed. There's oh, nothing Broadway going on. Just, oh, yeah, it's, a, it's just, you, you look at Broadway, everything. It's, oh, yeah. Have you ever it's done amazing. any Broadway? Have you ever done any live stuff? No, you know, they, they came to me one time to do uh, a play 
and I, I sort of kicked myself. I should have done it. Yeah. And um, I and I own a great play that I wanted to put on stage that I just not got around to it. I was too busy doing this and that. And, so you know, and I probably should have done stage. You know, Mitchum told me to do it, and I I just kept saying, ah, you know, you know. But, yeah. Well, and then and then you turn around and it's like, where did all the time go? You know, I mean, it's crazy. I, I could only imagine you're a busy cat. I'm I'm looking on your head. What's that? Yeah, yeah. You shake your head. You know, I've been. All of a sudden, you're in the business forty years and don't even realize it. Man, where does the time go? I uh, I'm I'm looking on here. Did you turn Jaws down? Yeah. Oh, are you kicking yourself for that one, or are you still okay with that? No, no, they came to me to do Jaws, and when I was doing, uh, I just finished King Kong, and they were getting ready to do March or Die, and I'd already made an agreement to do March or Die. Oh, okay. Which I probably could have, I probably could have got out of it, but and they came, they really hard. Cubby and his son came to my agent in L.A. and you know, he said we really want you to do this, but then bang, and I. I said, well, I, I committed to this other movie. And and then while I was doing March of Diet, it came to me to do Superman. So it worked out much better. Superman was a better deal, I thought. I really didn't like the yeah. script for Joel. Yeah. Well, I suppose, you know, you got to make those decisions and you never know. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? I, uh, I, I think Superman did okay. <laughs> you, you, uh, yeah, you, you may have picked the right one there. How does Superman uh, came out when I, uh, I I was doing March or Die and Gene Hackman and I were flown up to London to meet Richard Donner for the Superman project and and I read the script and everything and then I saw Donner and he said how do you feel about playing uh, a mute guy and I said I actually embrace it I said because Jackie Gleason was a friend of mine he did a picture called Gigo and he won an Oscar for. Playing a deaf mute guy. Yeah. And uh, if I ever get an opportunity to do that, I would I would jump at it. And and Nam was a perfect character because you had Terrence Stamp was a vicious general. Mm-hmm. Sarah was a Mandy. So somebody had to relate to the kids because it was a kids movie. Yeah. So I took this brutish guy and <laughs> and I played him like a child. You know, wow. with child mannerisms. Got to work my eyes, and it worked out very well. You know, when I knew you were coming on, I went to dig up uh, the old Superman to to throw it on, and uh, I don't know, something happened. I got sidetracked. I never did see it. Yeah, these everybody we're, we we were trying to keep all these projects together. What uh, you know, so. when when you say keep these projects together? So you're building a studio in Las Vegas. What what are you on the day to day? Are you uh, making big decisions, well, or you, what, you, what's your role? You, it's, I, it's my studio, and oh wow! And I raised all the money, and I put all the planning together, and I've got a team of people that I put together, and uh, oh. it's a, like I said, we had the idea to build something in in California uh, a long time ago, and uh, and I got the same people involved with me now, and this is four times the size of what we were going to do in California, and it seems to be a better deal because it's a great tax deal and. In Nevada, and it's good for the state. And whereabouts is so it? Is it right industry? in uh, Las Vegas? Uh, right in by the Strip? No, it's about uh, 15 minutes north of uh, Las Vegas in a place called Apex. Oh, okay. So what's the we have uh, a couple uh, thousand? Acres. What's that? We have a couple thousand acres, so we're going to build oh. not only a studio, but we're going to put a smart city right next to it. So will employ like 25,000 people and they only have to go to work like 10 minutes, you know? Wow. Rather than going two hours each way out here in California. Like if I'm going to do a picture at Warner Brothers tomorrow, it's like traveling two hours each way. Yeah, you know? for sure. Wow, that's so awesome. If you're, if, you're if you're a technician and you're only 10 minutes away from work in a brand new living establishment, you know, it's a... Uh, takes a lot of burden off your head and makes it very cost effective. For sure. So people paying attention when they're on set makes, you know, make as many mistakes. 
What, so it's very cost effective. When was the uh, when was the timeline? When was it supposed to be done uh, before the COVID? Well, we thought we were right as the COVID started. We were about to break ground. Okay. And so now we have to wait. But you we'll got everything see. ready to go. Oh yeah. I got to imagine a water permit out there in the desert isn't easy to get, eh? Well, it's amazing. You'd be amazed that Nevada has the biggest aqua system underneath the state than anywhere in America. Really? Yeah. Interesting. They got I... a tremendous amount of water underneath the state, underneath the ground. Wow. I uh, so so. What what do you think? Uh, once you do dig into the ground, what are you talking? A few years? Like how long does that take to put together? That's probably a- two years. Be about two years because we're building it out of industrial hemp, which is a brand new material for building and much better, much faster, uh, much just a better, better deal all the way around. How did you get into that? I uh, I'm not familiar with industrial hemp. You know, top of technologies that are that are happening, you know, and uh, industrial <laughs> hemp is a great, that's great cutting material edge for building. Is that uh, yeah? Does that increase your cost significantly though? Oh, it reduces it by 60%. Wow. Really? That's interesting. Mm. Industrial hemp. I'm going to check into that. That's pretty cool. I I uh I I wasn't aware that that was even possible. But uh so then so do you well, have it's like, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. I could build a 30-story building with not one drop of steel out of industrial hemp. And the temperature inside of that building will maintain 69 to 72 continually. Really? And I could build I could build a 1,200-square-foot home, two-bedroom, two-bath, with all inlaid tiles from industrial hemp, inlaid furniture. I could build that house completely done in two weeks for $20,000. What? Come on. So... Ex- explain to me temperature in that house and the temperature inside the house would never vary from 69 to 72 why why is that because the carbon factor the air is cleaner man so they're making it's lumber cool. out of it and and wow you don't make lumber out of it you pour, pour it just like concrete oh really it you put forms down, you pour it just like you're pouring concrete, but the only difference is it sets within two days and you're moving the frames. And if you're building in a, in a wet area, it absorbs the moisture. You never have mildew or nothing. It's, uh, oh. it's an incredible material. Home run. How cool is that? So do you have, do you have films and, and stuff lined up for once the studio is done? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, that's cool. I, I you had mentioned a couple of yours. Do you have some other uh, outside projects that uh, people have been talking to you about? Uh, every, every major Warner Brothers, Fox, they all will come to Nevada because we're going to do something that's never been done before. I'm going to put like 110 sound stages in that are what they call NC25 soundproof. Nobody in the world has that, Man. and it saves you so much in production. Damn, who's paying for all this shit? That's crazy. We have a group that's putting up the money, and wow. it's a good deal. Yeah, it sounds amazing. I, uh, I'm i going to have to check in with you down the road to see how that thing's going. That's that's uh, a huge – I do a little building and, and renovating on, this, uh, uh, you know, on a side business, um, so I'm familiar with what's going on there. But to build 4 million square feet, that's crazy. That's a major undertaking. <laughs> but – uh, we will have every aspect of the industry will be under one roof for the very first time. And it should have been done 30 years ago. Wow. We will put everything from movies to television to streaming to music. And we will have a soundstage that will handle 4 or 5D, which means you you got to have a, a, a depth stage. We will put a water body stage in. You know, all these things should have been in Hollywood. Like we did Superman, we had to go over because of the 007 stage at Pinewood Studios. 
Oh, wow. It was a huge stage. They didn't have a stage big enough to do Superman here. So we did it over in London. <laughs> Monster, man. All right, now tell me a little bit about this Family Legacy book and the and the miniseries you're doing. Is this about your family and, and from the beginning? I'm, yeah, it's the, my father and his period of time and how things. In other words, yeah, people do people do mob movies because, listen, nobody has a crystal ball in Hollywood to tell you what's going to make money. But there are genres, and the genre of organized crime pictures have never lost any money on any film. Oh. They've ever even the so, it, but everybody does this gangster stuff, and Hollywood takes liberties about Capone and other people. So we're going to do the real story of how, in the beginning, industry, government, organized crime, and unions were all partners. All the way up to the 60s. And a lot of money that was made illicitly was put back into the growth of the nation because their initial financial structure came from loan sharking, extortion, and, you know, gambling. So they took that down to work. If you're going to gamble and play with them, you gotta you got to have a job to pay them back. So they made sure everybody went to work. So they controlled most of the unions. They built businesses, you know, Sears and Roebuck, insurance companies. They invested in General Electric. They put people to work. Wow. You're going to rock some the, rock some feathers or uh, make some waves by doing that? Well, it's a, yeah, who cares? We'll tell the truth. <laughs> How things change the way, you know? Yeah, yeah. When you read Family Legacy, Family legacy goes from my father's death to Kennedy's death. And I tell the truth about the Kennedy assassination. Wow. What a unit. You got some inside scoop on that? I was there. Yeah, I know exactly what happened. What do you mean you were there? What? I was there. You were in Dallas? Yeah. Well, give us the breakdown. Or is that that for the book only? (laughs) Read the book. (laughs) <laughs> well, now I'm gonna. I love it. I you were actually there. That's what were you doing yeah. there? Meyer Lansky set up for me to go to. There was a party the night before his assassination at Clint Murchison Jr.'s house. It's called Egyptian Nights, and the host was uh, Hoover. And they, there was a bunch of people, and you know, there was, was just. Uh, a lot of people there that were involved in changes that were going to happen around the Kennedy assassination. Wow. So I was sent there. To I met John McCoy, who was a great banker. You know, and Johnson was there. Nixon was there. Oh. There were four presidents. Wow. So and the book breaks it down. The mystery solved. Yeah. Oh, well, there you heard it. Truth. There you heard it, fans of the project. Family legacy. And and Jack, did you write this or did you uh, uh, have someone write it for no, you? No, I wrote it. Really? Well, I had a, had a ghostwriter. I talked to you. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Have you thought about doing another book? It'll be out in 60 days. Oh, what's that one going to be called? Family legacy uncut. Ooh, so is that uh, a continuation or uh, a little bit more in-depth? It's, uh, it's more elaborate than the original was, and it's uh, then we've got another one. We've got four books that are going to come out all together, and then we, we're interfacing with Charlie Lucky Luciana's son, and he's got his father's book, The Last Testament of Charles Luciana, okay. Lucky Luciano, and, and Lucky and my father were partners, so... We're going to tell a lot of truthful stories about how things were changed and how people were thrown under the bus. Ooh. But uh, I'm definitely going to check out that family legacy now. And that because I, I, I want to hear the Kennedy part too, man. That's just an added bonus, right? Uh, just go to familylegacythenovel.com and it's right there on, on, on uh, Amazon. I, uh, I will check it out, and, and I will steer listeners there so that uh, you can get some more uh, books flying off the shelf. I love the idea. Hey, we got to wrap this thing up, man. You are a, a joy to talk to. You've got uh, stories to tell. I, uh, I'm fascinated by 
the whole thing. You've uh, you've seen it all and done it all officially. I uh, I still need to know how uh, a cat from Council Bluffs, Iowa, gets involved with the mob, or is that not your correct uh, uh, starting point? Or is that is that? Where? I don't know online. I was born and raised in Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, so I'd never been to Council Bluffs, Iowa. <laughs> Maybe that's just I boxed uh, Ronnie, Ronnie Standard out there. Oh, okay. And what, did you do a Comic Con or something? Maybe that's what it was. Comic Con was there. I have, yeah. That's cool. Do you do a lot of those Comic Cons? I not as many as you used to. Well, now you're not doing any of them. But yeah, you, know. you can't. I remember the very anything. first one I ever did. People come up to me and they said, "Oh my God, you can hear, you can actually talk." <laughs> <laughs> How fun is that? I um. Gotta look up family. I mean, fat, look up uh, Farewell, My Lovely. You'll like the picture a lot. I'm Great gonna, movie. I'm going to do both. I've got your list uh, written down here. I keep a notebook page on all my guests. Baltimore, and... Bullets a very good movie. Baltimore Bullets a very good movie. Baltimore Bullets. Bullets. All mm. right. I'm on it. I got a whole I got a whole Netflix weekend planned here already, and uh, and we're not even close to the weekend yet. So, but listen, man, we got to wrap this thing up. I am going to be checking in on you uh, periodically, if that's all right with you, because we're going to need some updates on these books and uh, sure. and what you're doing, and obviously this uh, monstrosity you're building out in, Nova- in Nevada, because um, I'm very curious to Absolutely. see how that's going together. So, listen, Jack, where can people get a hold of you? Go to do you have a you have a website, jackalhalloran.com? Hey, just Google me, Google yeah. me, or go to familylegacythenovel.com. Right on, man. Hey, thanks a lot for the time. And uh, like I said, we'll check in with you somewhere down the road. My pleasure. You be well. All right. Thanks, Jack. You too, man. Be safe. Take care. That's it. That's the end. That's a wrap. Read the shtick. That's a wrap for today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and tell all your friends. If you'd like to reach out, you can use the studio line at 612-504-6500 or by email, thedkprojectpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, there's always social media at the DK Project Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.